boys, we're coming to America. The circuit of the Americas, if you will. Texas. The Lone Star State. <laughs> Welcome to Turn One. A Formula One podcast. and Jeremiah. Welcome back to another episode of Turn One Podcast. We're your hosts, Jeremiah. And Thomas. Today, we're going over the preview for the United States Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. This is not any of the driver's home Grand Prix as much as Daniel Ricardo. Logan Sargent. Yeah, but he's not a Texas boy. No. This is our home Grand Prix. The Turn One home Grand Prix is in Coda. Well, let's go over a little bit of the track features. Number of turns, we've got 20 turns around this track. This track actually uses a lot from other tracks in F- on the F1 calendar, which I love. For instance, Silverstone's Maggots and Beckett's Chapel sequence, Hockenheim's Arena Benz, and, the re- and a replica of Istanbul's Turn 8. This track, for our golf fans out there, which we know Formula One and golf, super overlapping on the fan bases. <laughs> There is a chain of golf courses in the U.S. called Tour 18, and it literally does pull the best golf holes from like around the world, and they replicate them in full-size versions. That's kind of what the Coda circuit did. They kind of looked around the F1 landscape because this is a newer track, right? Like 2011, 2012 was the first, yeah, you know, building of the track. So they looked around the F1 landscape. They had a ton of data from around the world, and they said, "Hey." Let's piece these really cool things together and give our drivers kind of a, like the entire track is a, an experience. Whereas in Silverstone, you just have Maggots and Beckets. And in right. Japan, you just have 130R. Well, what's cool about this track is it actually, you know, besides some of the antics that have gone on kind of before the race or anything like that, it's not like Miami in terms of how the drivers feel about it. They actually enjoy this track. They enjoy coming here. (laughs) Daniel Ricciardo is famous for loving this track as he absolutely loves Austin. He always shows up with his cowboy hat and tries to do a Texan accent. It's awesome. I've seen so many TikToks of Daniel Ricciardo. Like you could tell, I bet whenever he first got injured, he looked at the calendar and he was like, I'm coming back for Austin. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, he probably even didn't race this last weekend, so he would be set for Austin <laughs> as his re- as return. And that's why you're predicting a Daniel Ricciardo win. No, no, no. Just points. <laughs> okay. But we'll get to that. Don't worry about that. 20 turns. It's about 3.426 miles, or for our European fans, 5.513 kilometers. Like I said, the best of every track into one track. The main straight is an uphill go, and once you get to turn one, it's an immediate hairpin downhill again. For those of you that aren't familiar with Coda, or maybe you've just seen it in the context of an F1 race, do a little Google poking around, because that incline going up to turn one is far steeper than you think it is. It is a massive hill that they go up. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a braking zone while going uphill, and then they have the hairpin on top of that. 
other defining features turns three through six are kind of the s curves like i said maggots and beckets that's one of my favorite parts of the track just because it is pretty tricky as you're balancing the throttle and the brake or maybe you're just not even using the brake maybe you're just lifting but you're doing it at a specific amount so that you can maneuver your way through these s curves perfectly there's um, a couple different tracks on the circuit where you have chicanes that you feel like you can go flat out through, right? And when you look at the Austin S curve, you almost think, if I just get it on the inside line where I'm hitting the inside apex of every turn, I can do it flat out. You can't. You cannot. They I... designed it so perfectly to where you have to lift ever so slightly. I've tried multiple times. <laughs> you just go off the track. And y'all can test this out on the F1 video games. I think it does a good job of representing it because there are sometimes maybe if you maybe if you hit the turn like turn two or so before that a little bit wrong, you can be powering through the chicane. Yeah. But if you're on a good line and you've got your speed going, you've got to lift. Otherwise, you are flying off into the runoff area. Oh, easily. <laughs> Another favorite part of the track for me, at least I know you you enjoyed as well. Turns seven and eight are this giant sweeping right hander that's. I want to say it's full out. Maybe there is a slight lift just to make sure that you can stay on it. But I'm, I mean, you're able to take it flat out in the game. I'm, I'm not 100% sure in terms of what the drivers can do with these cars this year, but I guess we'll find out. It is interesting because we talked about how they combine different elements of other tracks, but Coda also is, you know, we talked about this with Japan, right? It just takes every aspect of what a racer could encounter and throws it at it. It's not a pure speed track. It's not a pure technical track. And so you go from this highly technical chicane course of turns two through six or three through six, and then you go into immediate punching the gas and then doing a wide turn, and then you're back into a braking zone, and then you're back into a chicane. It throws every element at the guys while they're I driving. I love it. Okay, let's talk about some of the fastest laps around here. In Formula One, Charles Leclerc holds that title with 1 minute 36.169. And this was last year, right? Yes. Which is interesting because wasn't this the time last year when Ferrari had turned down their power? We had talked about that, but it's showing differently. Yeah. Which last year, actually, both Ferraris got one and two in the qualifying session, but with Charles Leclerc picking up a penalty, he dropped down the grid. But the Ferraris were quick in qualifying for a one-lap pace around this track. So, I mean, I believe it. The Porsche Carrera Cup. We always put this one out there so that y'all can see a comparison between the Porsche Cups and the F1 cars. Porsches took 2 minutes, 8 seconds, 7.6, or 2 minutes and 8.767 seconds. There's always a gap, obviously. Like, like the Porsche Carrera Cup never, I don't think ever, eclipses the Formula no. 1 time. But it does show you if they're ever really, really close, that one track might be more flat out than technical. This one falls into our more average range, and I think that falls in line with what this track is, which is a hodgepodge of different styles of racing. We'll talk about some of the history here. 2021, six points between Max and Lewis in the championship fight. Max obviously comes out on top. Lewis gets second in that race with Sergio quick behind. 2022 is a little bit more interesting, but not in terms of who, who's coming in first, because at this point, Max had already been crowned the champion from the previous race. So this was really a battle between Leclerc and Perez to see who would come out on top. At the time of the race, Perez was leading Leclerc. However, when the race passes, your, three, your final three on the podium, Max, Lewis, and Leclerc, giving Leclerc that edge over Perez in the championship. 
And this is when Charles was kind of having his resurgence throughout the year. So if you look at last year for for Ferrari, obviously they thought it was going to be a much better year than it ended up being. Right. It started out really well, right? And then the, kind of the whole middle third of the season, Ferrari fell off a little bit. <laughs> well, if you look at his results around Coda last year, starting with the Netherlands, he goes 3-2-2-3-3. Three, two, two, three, three. So he was in a was fight cooking. at that point. Like he was up there with Lewis and Max and in that group at that time. So him getting third in that race was was a factor towards the end of the year. Also a little tidbit for you. This was also last year where Logan Sargent got his first his time in a F one car as he replaced Nicholas Latifi in practice one. It doesn't seem to have helped him much this year so far. I mean, is he that far off from Nicholas Latifi? I would much rather have Logan Sargent. Because uh, yeah. wasn't Nicholas Satifi also a little old? He was up there a little bit. I mean, he was also in the sport for a few years, too. It wasn't just and one And he year. was also a pay driver, which right. Sargent isn't. But, yeah, very cool, though. The hometown boy getting a, a drive in the, the hometown race. And I hope he does well in this one. Um, Jeremiah's early season prediction of him getting points in five races certainly isn't paying off. But, Yikes. hey, maybe he can get 10th this week. Oh, that was such a bad go at it. That's you're, fine. You were so confident, too. I really was. I was rooting for the guy. Oh, well, I guess you'll have that. Let's dive into some fun facts. Okay. First of all, not so much fun fact, but we do need to say this. It's a sprint race weekend. Didn't we just have one? Oh, here? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, with it being a sprint race weekend, we will have that weird format where we do the... Only one and only practice session and then immediately into the qualifying for the feature race on Sunday. Then we go into the sprint shootout and then the sprint race and we'll finish it up with the actual feature race on Sunday. In la- it was seriously Qatar, right? The last sprint? Yeah. So two race weekends in a row we're doing sprints now. Yep. I hate this. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's going to be part of F1 going in the future. I heard, I heard Carlos signs talking on a podcast and he was talking about what we could do differently for these sprint races and he had an interesting idea what was it his idea was what if we line up the grid for the sprint races there is no qualifying we line up the grid in reverse championship order interesting so the guys in the back are still going to move their way up to the front but now it gives the guys who might not have the the faster car, an ability to defend, or maybe like, say, like Ferrari and Red Bull right now, how Red Bull have a massive jump on Ferrari in performance. However, in this one, Ferrari would be moving up the pack with Red Bull, but Red Bull's still behind Ferrari. Now the question is, can Max not only maneuver his way through traffic, but can he also pass the Ferraris, Mercedes, and McLarens? So you have a battle between the Red Bulls, McLarens, and Mercedes in the back back of the pack. So... Let me ask you this. Would that result in points being awarded for the sprint, but it has no tie to qualifying for the Grand Prix, right? No tie. Okay, because you couldn't do that. No. That would be super unfair. No, so the, the qualifying and the actual feature race are hmm. still their own separate thing. This is its own gag thing with points awarded at the end, which means that it would give teams like Williams or Alfa Romeo or, or Haas a better chance at possibly getting points towards the championship. Interesting. There's no way the teams go for that. There's no a way Red of, Bull. A lot of drivers are here for it. There's no way that Horner and Toto and Vasseur all say, "Yeah, put us at the back when you're giving out points." There's no way. I think it'd be fun. Well, let us know in the comments. Is that uh, kind of how you want to see it? Or I mean, we asked last week how we how we fix the sprint format. Let us know. Somebody on um, 
Somebody on TikTok had commented something that I didn't fully understand, and maybe I need to go read it again, but it was basically like a two-heat qualifying for the sprint race. Okay. Where you qualify like um, first place, 20th place, second place, 19th place. So it's two races and it just reverses? Kind of. I didn't fully understand it, but there was some element of the best gets awarded and the worst gets awarded. But then wouldn't everybody be trying to drop to the back of the pack? I don't, unless, I don't know. Unless you're shooting for the best shot. Unless spot. you're shooting for the best. So, okay. This one I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the name. So they so the FIA WEC, which is the World Endurance Championship, that's your 24 hours at Le Mans. And I think it's, what, 12 hours or 16 hours of Bahrain, regardless. Those, those events that, that are kind of... That feels hot. Yeah. Well... <laughs> They come to the United States Grand Prix, more specifically Circuit of the Americas. Circuit of the Americas hosts an FIA WEC event, which they titled the Lone Star Le Mans. It's a six-hour endurance race. Those are those are two different places that they're putting in the same name. Lone Star is Texas. Le Mans is a place in Europe. <laughs> Which, you know, it could just be us being uneducated because I'm sure that Le Mans, is, they, they use that name in the actual championship. Probably. So I'm sure there's a part of that that we are uneducated on, but it is still funny to hear. But it also used to be known as the six hours of the Circuit of the Americas. So they made a conscious effort to change it to Lone Star Le Mans. <laughs> I like it. I'm here for it. All right. Tell us about the designers. Okay, so this track was designed by a guy named Hellman and Schwartz or uh, something like that. But then there's another guy named Tilke who runs Tilke Engineering. And basically, they were responsible for eight or nine of the big tracks over in Europe, including Hockenheim. Um, And so, like we talked about at the start of this, whenever you have them, whenever you get course designers together, track designers together, they fall back on those tried and true methods of what designs are. And I'll relate this to golf one more time. You have famous golf course designers that have signature aspects of their courses, right? And I think you see that in some of this where if you've designed nine or 10 professional racing circuits, by the time you get up to the ninth or 10th or 11th or 12th one, you know it works, you know it doesn't work, you know what you like, you don't know, you, you know. And with this being a newer track, they made it how they wanted. And that's why so many of the drivers enjoy going to Coda because it is a master built track by these guys. Not just so many drivers like going to Coda, the fans like Coda. They have over 400,000 people coming to this track with, throughout the whole weekend. And uh, what was the GA admission price? $475? Yeah, that's for the three day pass. We won't talk about that. Times by 400,000? There's a reason we're here and not broadcasting from Coda. <laughs> Patreon link coming soon. Right. <laughs> Merchandise coming at you. <laughs> so I also have this note. Um, we have had a fun history with Grand Prix in the United States. As we've covered on turn one, we did the 84 Dallas Grand Prix, which was a disaster because they did it in July in Dallas in a poorly kept area of town uh, where they were dumping ice cubes on the track more out of spite Jeez. than anything. And then we also had the 2005 um, USGP at the Indianapolis 500 Speedway. With the tires. With the tire wars, as you had Bridgestone and Michelin, the Michelin tires kept exploding. (laughs) The Bridgestone (laughs) tires kept doing well. And at that point, they were really questioning if Formula One would return to the United States. Because the 2005 Grand Prix, you had 
you know, dozens of thousands of fans there to watch, they saw a crazy sham of a race. I think what saved them, honestly, was them doing the full refunds to the fans and then inviting like 20 or 30 back the next year, 30,000 back which for free. Which didn't happen. Which didn't happen. <laughs> but they did do it back in 2007. That was the last United States Grand Prix was 2007 Indy before coming to um, the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. I actually like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, they had a little they had a little gap because they were like, you know what? I think they were under contract with Indy, right? And they let that run out, and they're like, let's take a break. Yeah, we're we're done with this track. We're not fans. And side note that we don't actually have planned to talk about in doing some reading on the Circuit of the Americas. It was funded a lot by a guy named Red McCombs, who is a big big money guy here in the state of Texas. He has a lot of ties to the University of Texas. He was the main investor for Coda. Him and the investment group apparently got on some rocky footing in like 2010 and the whole thing almost fell apart. Oh, I read about this. They were in like environmental lawsuits and the Texas Congress was trying to shut them down and they weren't getting the right permits and their own internal management was quarreling. And so there was a very good chance for about six months that CODA never happened. That makes it even more special though, because yeah. now it's a returning thing that's going to be in the Grand Prix or on the calendar for F1 for quite a while. There's outside of Drive to Survive, I don't think you or I are watching F1 if it's just the Miami Grand Prix or it's just European, you know, South American Grand Prix. If there wasn't an American tie, we're not into it. Not only that, the fact that your F1 pod or your Turn One podcast is about four hours away from the track. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be there, but we probably will be next year. You know, the odd thing is, and maybe this is a COVID thing, but it said they did it up through 2022, so I don't think it is. They used to give tours of the track, and we looked into this. If y'all know how to tour uh, tracks, let us know, because we've looked in every avenue we can, and we cannot figure out how to get on these tracks. Look, man, at this point, we're emailing media teams, just trying to figure it out. Nobody's answering back. <laughs> they said, yeah, you and about 500 other podcasts. No, <laughs> We're looking at going to bike nights. <laughs> just trying to get on the track, man. <laughs> All right, what's your last fun fact? So we talked about this earlier on. I'm going to bring it back up just to, now that we've had a chance to kind of talk about the track a little bit. It pulls a lot from other tracks. That's one of my favorite things about this because I've always told you one of my favorite things about Silverstone was Maggots and Beckett's. Right. So they took Maggots and Beckett's Chapel and Chapel, and that whole sequence there, threw it onto the track, the Hockenheim Arena Benz, which is really cool. I don't know if... Ties directly back to old Tilkey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're right, Hockenheim. Yep. And then, of course, they took the replica of Istanbul's Turn 8. Now, we don't see that on the calendar now, but it still is a famous part of the track. Do you know who else designed Istanbul? Tilki. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes <laughs> sense. I would imagine he probably had a hand in Silverstone then, and that, if that's the case, because why else would he pull from all of them? I don't see Silverstone on the list, and I think that's just because they... Silverstone's old. You know, they converted yeah, that old World War II. military base. Air, uh, military base. But, you know, the chicane, I think you see that chicane in a couple different places now. Mainly Silverstone, Japan has the S chicane yeah. and Coda, and there's probably more that I'm missing, but at least those three, that's a defining feature. Okay. You want to give your predictions? Let's do some predictions. So we have a shared sheet, which is what we look at for our our talking points. And Jeremiah put his on here, so I know what he's going to say. And he's probably right. (laughs) But I've got to root for a little bit of excitement. And in doing some digging on this, 
the other formula series, so F2, 3, 4, the, the Formula E, they don't really race in the U.S. They don't race at Coda for sure. Maybe they have in the past, but yeah. it's not a yearly thing yeah. like this, like the USGP. As far as I can tell, Oscar Piastri has never raced here. I could be wrong on that, but I don't see a single line on his racing record that says U.S. anything. So, coming out of left field, starting with the winner, Oscar Piastri. Okay, so are you talking about the winner of the sprint race? The Grand Prix. No. I don't predict the sprint no, race. No. Give me Max Verstappen in the two spot. Jeez. And give me Lando Norris in the three spot. Oh, the amount of wrong that you are just hurts my brain. Now, if I was to be betting on this, I would say give me Verstappen, Norris, and a third you can pick from a pool of five guys. About, yeah. But just for the sake of Oscar Piastri, every time he went to a new league, he just dominated, right? And all this year, we've seen him do well in the sprints. We've seen him do well ever since McLaren brought their upgrades in the races. He has that kind of, you know, the... the Natural uh, feel almost? Not the natural feel. I'm trying to think of like, okay, when a backup quarterback gets put... At, Dak Prescott of the Cowboys. Jeez. His first season was the best season, right? It's the uncluttered mind. You're just thrown into a situation. You're not putting all that weight on you. You're not putting all the pressure. You're just like, I get to go play? Cool. And you do really well. Oscar Piastri gets Dakota for the first time and just nails it. Okay. He doesn't have preconceived notions about the S-turns. He doesn't have any preconceived notion about that long U-banking turn that brings you to the home straight away. He doesn't think about any of that. It's just, I go race here. Well, I definitely disagree. <laughs> Without a doubt. I think that Lando really struggled in Qatar, so we see a resurgence in Lando Norris. Give me Max Verstappen for the top spot just because I want to make sure that I'm right. <laughs> That's the definite, definitely going to happen. When he crashes into Lewis at turn one, I'm going to be jumping up and down. Even though he's my favorite driver, I'm just going to be <laughs> rooting for Oscar. Give me Norris in the second spot, the resurgence, because this whole Oscar beating Norris thing, they are close in times, don't get me wrong. But he's not there yet. Norris still has that one spot. He just had a very bad go at it in Qatar. So put me put put me in the corner of Norris getting that second spot. I take that. Okay. Give me Hamilton in the third spot. Now I had this exact lineup for Qatar, and Hamilton crashed out on turn one, which is why I'm giving him a second chance at this. I don't think that Mercedes is faster than the McLaren, so I don't see Hamilton beating Norris, but I'm giving Hamilton that last podium spot. He said, my own teammate took me out, man. Which he corrected in interviews in the middle of the race since he was off the track. But So you know what? I, I would say, okay. I do agree that right now, head-to-head, -head, I think Lando is a better racer than Oscar. Yes. But I think we've seen McLaren in these precarious situations where their drivers are always coming out of a pit on the final stretch of a race, wheel-to-wheel. -wheel. Yeah. And earlier in the season, we saw the team favoring Lando. But what did we see just two weekends ago in Qatar? Who did they favor? Oscar. Yeah, but if you had noticed what happened when they did that, Lando was stuck behind Oscar, in which case Lando said, I'm faster, please let me buy. And they didn't. And you Oscar got point. second. Exactly, but you see my point. Lando is the faster driver. 
I, I get what you're saying. Again, I agree. I think he's the faster driver, but there's something going on there where things are turning around. You know what? I'll go a step further. I don't think Piastri qualifies behind Lando in terms of right behind him. I think there's somebody that even splits them. Don't know who it could be. It could be George Russell. It could be Carlos Sainz, whoever. But typically, the McLarens will qualify one right after the other immediately because they're that close. I think Lando gets a jump on Oscar. I do like how you're, you're putting... Lewis into that third spot. And we haven't really considered George for a top three prediction all year. No. Because he's been super inconsistent. And he was Mr. Consistency. But we saw a really good recovery drive out of him in Qatar. Oh, sure. A really good recovery drive. He can do it. He just doesn't. It makes me wonder if he was in his head at the beginning of the year with this whole competition with Lewis thing and then here in the later races of the season he's kind of just going full send and he's like, you know what, I don't care what happens I'm going full aggressive. Like, I'm not finishing fifth every race anymore I'm either getting a podium Podium or or I'm crashing out. And I guess that is the mindset of a driver, but man, when you look at his last year's races to this year's He He didn't get under fifth for like... He was so much better last year. He didn't get under fifth place for like, what, eight races? It was round 10 when he retired at at Silverstone. And then he proceeded to go another six races before getting outside of the top 10, before getting outside the top four. He was always in the top five. There was only two or three races last year where he wasn't in the top five. That is ridiculous. Meanwhile, you look at this year and he's got... He's got four races alone where he doesn't get points and another six or seven on top of that where he's out of the top five. Like, it's a rarity for him to finish in the top five this year, not the norm. That's rough. That really hurts. So that's why you're putting Lewis in the third Yeah, spot. 100%. George is not reliable this year. I'm not giving him that podium. Okay, so real quick, recap your predictions. Max, Lando, Lewis. Okay, give me Oscar, Max, Lando. That is ridiculous. All right, real quick, as we look ahead, uh, or sorry, not as we look ahead, but what do you expect out of this race outside of the podium? I don't know what kind of feedback this is going to get from everybody, but I'm going with Ricardo scoring points and his return. I don't think that's happening. (laughs) I do like Danny Rick. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a top seat driver anymore. For all of those in the, the F1 community on Reddit and on the, the social media comments that are saying he's waiting out for a bigger seat at a bigger, better team, I don't think it's coming. There are so many young up-and-comers that I think teams would be more inclined to sign, including the the bench of reserve and test drivers that they have right now. Like we even saw Nick DeVries got one shot booted out of the sport. He's not even a reserve or test driver anymore. No. He's... They've already filled that seat. No. So it's like... Once Ricardo was kicked out of the sport, they bring him back to AlphaTauri because he had that re- re- you know that Red Bull relationship, and I think he does give them some good data. Maybe he's helping them build for the future. I don't see him going to Red Bull or McLaren or Ferrari. Well, he's or definitely Mercedes. not going to McLaren. No, definitely not going to McLaren. I don't even see him going to like an Alpine. Yeah, I, I w- if I'm Alpine, I am not putting Daniel Ricardo over my two French drivers. You know, I don't – here's my problem with this. I'm a huge Danny Rick fan to the point to where I'm almost inclined to think that now that he's not in that 
horrible McLaren that he was in, which granted Lando was doing good in it, but it, it Lando was able to adapt to what that car was able to do versus Danny Rick coming from the primed Red Bull going to that McLaren. It was, well, I mean, also Renault, don't forget, is all very similar to that Red Bull back then. So it, it kind of handled the same way. So when he gets to that McLaren seat, it's a completely different car. He can't adjust. So he's spending this time in Alpha Alphatari breaking all those bad habits that he developed in McLaren, he'll find his form. I almost guarantee, I can't guarantee. That's rough. Let me rephrase this. I would love to see Danny Rick get that second <laughs> Red Bull seat, and I, I want to say he has the potential to do it. I really do. I, I still don't think he's better than Sergio Perez. Oh, I definitely now, think he's better than Sergio Perez. Now, Sergio has had a rough year outside of his two wins. And I was going to get to that in some of my expectations, but if you give me both of them and a Red Bull car, I'm telling the Minister of Defense to go ahead with that. I'm guaranteeing Daniel Ricciardo beats Sergio if they're both in the Red Bull. Okay, so maybe something to support your point. (laughs) Here's something that I expect from the race. I expect both Mercedes, both Ferraris, and both McLarens to finish in the top 10 at six. I also expect Max Verstappen to finish in the top 10. Yep. That's seven. I expect Sergio to finish outside the top 10. Oof. When you go back and look at his his season, now granted, he's always kind of gotten back up into the the top 10, but at Qatar, 10th, Japan, retired, Singapore, 8th, a street circuit, he gets 8. Something's going on with him. It's, I'm telling you, man, it's all the talks of his seat being up for grabs. There's just no way that. But the he... last time that happened, he turned it on. He flipped a switch and was awesome. Well, let me know when he finds that switch because I'm telling you right now, he's walking in a room with all the lights turned off and he's blind. I mean, if he does finish in the top 10, it's 10, 8, 7, 9. You know, it's not top 5. Like, that's right. rare this In back the half fastest of the year. car on the grid. Yeah, I know. That's tough. Now, Danny Ricardo in his couple races back was doing better than Nick DeVries did before he crashed, but in the Alpha Tari car, which is why I'm saying if he was in the Red Bull, he would be getting peak performance out of that Red Bull. Now, he probably wouldn't be on the same pace as Max Verstappen because I don't think any driver is. Right. But he's got pace. I think he's way better than Sergio Perez. I really do. I also think, just to round out that whole top 10 thing, that uh, we've seen Valtteri Botas get a number of midfield finishes. Give me him. And let's get Albon back in the top 10. Please. Can we, do it? Can we get the Williams back in the top 10? I don't know if you all noticed. I didn't put, I expect Albon to get points, because I've done that the past two race previews, and he's let me down on both occasions. So I'm just not putting him this time. He's He's... Inconsistent, but he's inconsistent in a good way. You know, we've talked about it a number of times. What do these younger drivers need to do to get a big seat? He's aggressive. I'd, I'd really, really like to see him in a better seat. He either gets points or he finishes out of the top 15, you know? I mean, at least as much as I don't really care for the team too much, at least put him in Alpine. I mean, something. Okay, so uh, this week we will have uh, our preview drop. We will also have a main episode release on Friday, and then we'll have the Circuit of the Americas on Sunday of this week. Um, What do we have after the USGP? What's next? So after United States Grand Prix, they will be heading to Mexico for Sergio Perez's home race. 
Where you and some others seem to think Sergio announces his retirement. No, not me. I'm saying I told you I saw some articles that said that there's talks of Sergio Perez <laughs> how, retiring. How, how at far his home away can you get from that statement? Because I did, it's not my statement, but people think that it's not going to happen at Mexico, as in he's out of the seat after Mexico. Right. But he announces his retirement in his home Grand Prix to his fans. He's only 33. He's on the top team. I don't think it's going to happen personally. I think that he's probably going to leave Red Bull but go to another team and continue to race. But he's still got another year with Red Bull. Well, yeah. he's Well, you know how that always plays out. Unless they buy it out. I mean, so did Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren. Yeah. I don't see them buying him out. I think Sergio's back next year, no questions asked. They would have already done it by now. From what I've heard, Christian Horner says Sergio's our guy for next year. Helmet Marco says literally anybody else but Sergio Perez. Helmet Marco. <laughs> get in a car and go. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. Christian Horner, get out there and go. <laughs> okay, well, let us know in the comments what your top three predictions are for the USGP. Wow, okay, I wasn't ready for that. Hang on. <laughs> Guys, if you think Nick DeVries is making a comeback and he takes George Russell's spot at Mercedes, I'm with you, and I want to see it. All right, we'll see you. Bye, guys.